0: good to see you guys. Happy Mother's Day. I'm Tripp, one of the pastors here and uh, a couple weeks ago we started a new series in First Thessalonians that we'll pick up in today. Um and uh yeah I'm excited to preach God's word this morning. I'm sorry that John had to finish Ecclesiastes last week. It's kind of like dueling series but from now for the for the next few weeks we'll be in uh Second Thessalonians and let's pray now and, and uh Ask God to help us to hear from him in his word. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, Lord, and we thank you so much for how good you are to us, Lord. We thank you so much for speaking to us in your word. Um, and Father, we, yeah, as Richard has already said, we, we don't really have any desire to go through motions, Father, um, or to casually pretend to be worshiping you. We actually want to hear from you, Father. So we pray you would speak to us from your word, God. We pray you would change our hearts, God. Help us to see Jesus more clearly, uh, Father, and help us to honor you uh, with every part of our life. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I want to start just by talking about a, a principle that all of us will know really well that we've experienced in different ways, and that's this, when you start, I haven't seen that, that's nice. Uh, The clouds till he returns. I like that. Um, When you start a new role, you want to figure out how to do it well. This is something all of us know, whether that's starting a new job, whether that's starting a new role in any way, shape, or form. You want to figure out how to do it well. One example of this is is parenting. So uh, the other day, uh, me and my wife were at the Amrachekwa's house, Uh, all three of them. We were hanging with John and Chandra and Ava, and we were just gazing at Ava Uh, And how beautiful and tiny she is. Uh, Her toenails are so small. I'm not sure how a toenail exists there. But she's really tiny. And so we were just rejoicing and talking about the ways that the Lord had been good to them. Somebody else came over and they came over with gifts. And it reminded me of something because uh, in in that uh, some of the gifts there were some books. There's a book for new moms, a book for new dads. And it transported me back to that very long time ago when I was a parent for the first time. About five years ago. uh, When... I was about to be a new dad, and I wanted to read all the books on parenting that I possibly could. I was like, I'm in a new role. I want to be a good dad. Uh, Paul Denard just the other day was asking me for for dad tips, right, because they're having a son. When I was about to be a dad, I was asking every man that I knew because, and I may have said this before, but people don't let dudes babysit, so we've never seen a child up close, an actual child. I had never seen one. And so I was asking people for all kinds of tips. Help me figure out how to be a dad. And one of the reasons we do that is because we're in a new role. We want to do it well. And it doesn't feel like your average role parenting feels like you could really mess up a human being. So you don't want to... It's like, if I don't do enough family devos on the right night, he might be a serial killer. So I need to figure this out <laughs> and figure out what's the right number of devos to do in a week. But... That's the thing. Whenever we're in a new role, we want to figure out how to do it well. And so I was asking all these dads, especially the dads who seem to be good dads, because I wanted to say, okay, the people who seem to love their kids well, whose kids seem to be well-adjusted, who seem to have a good relationship with folks, I want to figure out what are the common themes in their lives, what are the common things they did so I can figure out how to do it well. There's a task that all of us have been given. Uh, And there's a way to either do it well or to not do it well. And the task that all of us have been thrown into, the new role, anybody who's been uh, uh, saved by Jesus is in, is that we are now servants of the gospel. And the passage we're looking at today is going to help us think about how to be faithful ministers of the gospel. Um, Can somebody please uh, give me some timer? We're already running behind, Uh, so I just want to make sure that I can uh, respect people's time. Um, Somebody say, yeah, amen. Amen. so in our passage today, we're going to think about what it looks like to be a faithful minister. What are some things that faithful ministers of the gospel have in common? And when I say minister, I don't mean some kind of official role or some office. Minister just means serving. Here's what I do mean when I say uh, talk about being a minister of the gospel. That means serving the goals of the gospel, right? Introducing people who don't know Jesus to the good news of Jesus. Reminding people who do know Jesus about the good news of Jesus. Or to put another way... Uh, desiring to see the gospel really have its full effect that it can have and then working towards those ends. That's something all of us have been called to do. And one of the hard things about preaching about something like this, about how to be a faithful servant of the gospel, uh, is that a lot of us kind of forget that we're supposed to be servants of the gospel. That's not something we're thinking about often uh, throughout our week. So we know that we're supposed to be, but we don't care enough to think about how to do it better. You know, when we really care about something, we're passionate about it, we want to think about how to do it better. Um, And so the hard thing about preaching about things like this is that sometimes our interest is only peaked when what we hear serves our own self-fulfillment and happiness. But when we start to talk about ways to think about how to serve others better, sometimes we tune out. But here's the other interesting thing. We're always looking around trying to find meaning in our lives. We want to know how to make a difference in the world. We want to know how to fight for good, and we're searching for more meaning. And as we search for more meaning, if we're in Jesus, we're overlooking this meaningful role that we've already been given. We're overlooking this thing that God has given us right in front of us, this incredible opportunity to help souls made in the image of God live the way that they were made to live. That is extremely meaningful. And God has called us to do that. But I wonder if you realize you can, you can minister in the wrong way, in an unfaithful way. You can have the right message and be the wrong kind of messenger. That's why it's important for us to think about how to be faithful. I, before we get into the text, I want to just point out an example so you know what I mean when I say that. Um, and this example comes from uh, Frederick Douglass' uh, The Narrative About His Life. And he talked about these so-called Christians in the South. And he said this, that when he was a slave, he preferred for his slave master to not claim to be a Christian because the professing Christians were the most brutal. I'm going to read this quote. It should be on the screen. This is what he says. He says, were I to be again reduced to the chains of slavery? Next to that enslavement, I should regard being the slave of a religious master, the greatest calamity that could befall me. That's the worst thing that could happen is having a religious master. He goes on and says this, there was not a man in the whole county with whom the slaves who had the getting their own home would not prefer to live rather than with this Reverend Mr. Hopkins. And yet there was not a man anywhere around who made higher professions of religion or was more active in revivals, more attentive to the class, love fees prayer and preaching meetings, or more devotional in his family that prayed earlier, later, louder and longer than this same Reverend slave driver Rigby Hopkins. Now, can you imagine wanting to hear the gospel from that man? It wouldn't matter how clear it was, how eloquent it was, how accurate the scripture it was. You do not want to hear about any good news from this person who doesn't seem like he's been impacted by any good news. This guy could have had a great gospel presentation. He clearly went to church a lot, but, but here's the thing. Just having the right message isn't enough. The message cannot be separated from the messenger. There is a faithful way for us to serve the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians that we're looking at now, Paul spends a lot of time defending himself against all kinds of slander, people saying he's not the guy he said he is. And as Paul defends himself and talks about how he does minister, there's a lot we can learn from him. And none of us are apostles in this sense. If you think you're an apostle like Paul is, come holler at me after the service. But all of us have been thrown into this role of minister. So in the same way moms and dads ask, okay, what, what do good moms and dads have in common so I can figure that out? Let's look at what faithful servants of the gospel have in common. So we don't just say the right things, but we're faithful while we say it. Here's what I think the main point of this whole passage is, is that the world needs to hear a faithful message from faithful messengers. The world needs to hear a faithful message, but from faithful messengers. So I want to look at four things that faithful servants of the gospel have in common. First one is boldness. The first one is boldness. Some of us are naturally bolder than others. Our whole lives... We've just been the bold winner. We've been the loud one in the crew. Or there's some of us who we can't just have an opinion. We also have to very loudly try to persuade everybody else to our opinion. Very passionately try to convert people like J. Cole fans the LeBron fans. You're not allowed to have any opinion other than mine or I'll shout you down about It's what people feel like. Some of us are wired to be more bold like that. But I just want to say this. When it comes to following Jesus, boldness isn't just some random personality trait. Boldness is a calling. Boldness is a calling for the believer in Jesus. It is necessary for the job, and we'll talk about why. We're going to start reading it, First uh, Thess- Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. And just to remind you, God told Paul and his missionary crew, go to Macedonia, preach the gospel, but it wasn't that easy. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Speaking of them, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. I'm just stop real quick. So like he said in chapter 1, amazing things happened when the gospel was preached. We saw very clear work of the gospel. And he's saying, y'all saw this too. You know this, right? There was resolve. Verse 2. He says, on the contrary, after we previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. So he's saying this. Uh, we... Suffered, we were treated outrageously in Philippi for doing the exact same thing that we planned to come do with y'all. Right? They've been Philippi, it was crazy fruit from the gospel being preached. There's this one part in Acts and Acts 16 where this uh, rich entrepreneur woman gets saved and then. When they're thrown in jail, the jailer gets saved, and then there's this demon-possessed slave girl who gets delivered and I think gets saved too. So there's crazy fruit of the gospel, but there's all kinds of pushback because people are mad they're disrupting their way of life. And here's what happens. They get beaten up and they get jailed. And here's what usually happens when people get beaten up and thrown in jail for saying something. They stop saying it, which seems logical. Who gets beaten up? and thrown in jail for saying something, and then feels emboldened to go say it again somewhere else. That that makes no sense. That's usually the part where you rethink your strategy, like, okay, I got beat up for this. Let me think if there's some other way I can do this. Or I like my freedom. Maybe I should say stuff that will keep me out of jail. It makes no sense to do that unless the message that you have to tell desperately needs to be heard. Unless the message that you have to tell is more important than your freedom right now in this life. Unless it's more important than your physical safety and comfort. And the gospel of Jesus is that kind of message that needs to be heard and is so urgent that it needs to be spread no matter what happens for doing it. God emboldened them to keep speaking it. He gave them the courage they needed to speak freely and boldly. Because the gospel isn't always received well. Anybody who's ever talked to somebody else about Jesus knows the gospel isn't always received well, right? Yes. Anybody who's ever heard anybody else just have a conversation about Jesus know the gospel isn't always received well. But that's the reason we need to be bold, right? You don't need boldness to tell somebody something that they want to hear. That doesn't require boldness. You don't need boldness to agree with everybody or to latch on to popular opinions. We need boldness because God has called us to spread a message that people don't always want to hear, something that's very controversial and rebellious. So here's the thing. If you wait to talk about Jesus until everybody will pat you on the back for it, you will never open your mouth. If you wait until you're in environments where there's no chance of anybody being offended by the message of the gospel itself, you will never tell anybody about Jesus. So if in your own mind you're thinking, just not right now because there's opposition to it, I just want to let you know you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of unfaithfulness. God has called us to this kind of boldness. So what can keep us bold when there's opposition? Well, what kept Paul and his crew bold was remembering what they'd been sent to do. Verse 3, he says, for our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. If they were just trying to go around and just gather a, a human following and Uh, get a lot of people to like them, then beating and imprisonment probably would have stopped them or, again, made them change their message. But that's not what's going on. They're not just trying to please people. Paul is not a politician. He wasn't trying to say the right things to get the right followers. He wasn't trying to pander the segments of the population who he really needed on his squad. That's not what Paul was doing. He wasn't trying to please people. When your aim is for someone else's glory, you don't really care if people like you for what you say. When your aim is people seeing Jesus clearly and not people seeing you a particular way, you're okay if they don't see you a particular way. The glory of Jesus is the aim. And he's saying, I'm not people-pleasing. And uh, most of us wish we could ever say that in any moment, honestly. I'm not people-pleasing. People-pleasing is something that all of us struggle with in different ways. It's hard to think about. In a, in a moment, when you're having a conversation with somebody, you're tempted to just say whatever will make them like you, it's hard to tell yourself, don't do that. You, you want to please God instead. You know the main reason it's hard? Because God is not the one standing in front of you looking you in the eyes. It's very easy for us to forget that God is even paying attention to this situation, right? This is just a a practical reason why it's difficult because we're looking at an actual human being in the eyes who we know makes judgments about us. But it's not helpful at all, especially not to this task of sharing the gospel. People pleasing is an enemy of the gospel because it's a conflict of interest. You cannot work for your glory and the glory of Jesus at the same time. And it is the main thing that gets in the way of our boldness. Think about the times when you felt like I should tell this person about Jesus and you didn't. Why not? Nine times out of ten. You're like, that one time I had laryngitis, but okay. Nine times out of ten. It's because we're worried about how people are going to think about us, right? We're worried about what people will think about us if we say that we think Jesus is the only way, or if we have this awkward conversation because we want a people please. that's what stands in the way. So if people-pleasing is my goal, I'll always be willing to change the message or silence the message. But he says God has approved them. God has approved them to take the most important message in the world to other people. And here's the thing. God has approved all of us for that same thing. And God approves of us in Jesus. So here's my question that I'm always trying to ask myself, that I have to ask myself every single day, if God himself has already approved me, why am I chasing the approval of other people? What do I think a person approving me has to offer me that God doesn't? Why is it that I've put them above God somehow? Like I know I got his approval, but what I really need is theirs. That's That's what's happening in our hearts when we do that. But it's foolish for a lot of reasons. Uh, one reason it's foolish, uh, people do make judgments, but they don't make final ones. They can make a judgment in a moment that will affect your life right now. God makes very final judgments that have eternal implications. So why am I trying to please people who don't have any kind of final judgment? But here's the reason Paul talks about that it's dumb in this passage. He says we want to please God who examines our hearts. So this thing, we can trick people because people can examine your image. They can examine some of your actions. That's it. God examines our hearts. God knows our thoughts and our desires and our feelings and our emotions. Why is it that we think it's a better idea to try to please a person who doesn't have final judgment and can only judge you based on just what they see in a moment? over God who makes final judgments and who sees all the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It's foolish to do that. So Paul's saying we're not doing that because they've been entrusted with the gospel. It's an important message. The guy wants them to get out. He takes that seriously. Um, there's something that happened recently that, that this made me think about uh, at the Oscars. Um, at the end of the Oscars, the best picture was about to be announced. Um, and so when they're like opening the envelope, Uh, they're looking at it a little strange, and the one dude, Warren Beatty, he's looking at the other lady like, you read this because I don't want to mess this up. And he reads it and he says La La Land, but La La Land didn't win. It was Moonlight. And so when you see the the snapshot of people's faces when they realize they'd said the wrong thing, all these actors look like the world has fallen. (laughs) Their faces uh, look devastated. And here's the strange thing about them making that mistake. There is a whole firm that they hire to make sure that doesn't happen. They're saying, we're not even going to make sure. We're not even going to take care of that. We're going to let you all take care of that to keep it secure. So they were entrusted with this, but for whatever reason, they messed up. One thing they realized, the guy who handed them the wrong card. They even have two separate cards to hand to make sure nothing happens. He was taking selfies with actors right before. Uh, I think he was a little distracted. He didn't realize the importance of what he was doing. He'd been entrusted with this task to deliver the right message of who'd been given that best picture, and he got distracted, and he did the wrong thing. That was an important message to them. We've been entrusted with a much more important message, not a best picture, not even your best life now. We're talking about the eternity, the eternal salvation of souls. We've been approved by God, and we've been entrusted with that message. So Paul is saying, I have no time for distractions. I have no time to get caught up in trying to please other people. I have no time to get caught up in trying to get likes on my Instagram photos with some actors. I've been entrusted with something important. So if God has given this to me, what do I look like wasting my time trying to please people instead? First thing that we see uh, in faithful gospel ministers is boldness. The world needs to hear that faithful message from faithful messengers. Connected to that idea of boldness too, though, is uh Number two, sacrificial love. And the way that that's connected is, um, right, we're bold, we want to be bold instead of people pleasing. Uh, we also, instead of uh, being self-interested in other ways, we want to love people in a sacrificial way. We want, we want love to be the reason that we go after people with this message. Uh, people always want to talk about unconditional love. I mean, it's the highest value in people's minds. And when people talk about things that are Value, the highest unconditional love pops up. And if it's a good, it is a good concept if, if it's understood in, in the right ways. But here's what most people mean when they say unconditional love. No matter what you do, I'll still feel nice things about you on the inside. So no matter what you do to me, I'll still look at you favorably and I'll think nice things about you, think fondly of you. And that's fine. But I think a concept that's more powerful than that kind of I'll feel nice things about you no matter what is sacrificial love. Right, I think it's stronger than what people mean by unconditional love. Because sacrificial love makes clear, this, I'm not just tying fond or fuzzy feelings to this. I'm tying action to this. I'm willing to sacrifice for your good. And it emphasizes the, the selflessness of it all. And it also has that unconditional aspect. Because if I'm going into this willing to sacrifice for you, that I'm not just doing it based on what you can offer me. Sacrificial love is part of what it means to be a faithful servant of the gospel. And so uh, Paul and his missionary crew, Silvanus and Timothy, were being accused of all kind of stuff. That's what it seems like. As Paul is defending himself. They're saying these, these dudes are greedy. They're self-interested. They, they, so Paul and them feel like they have to defend themselves. And the way they do that is by reminding the Thessalonians of what it was like, what their time together was like. Listen to verse 5. He says, we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. He's reminding them that in the way that they spoke, they let the gospel stand on its own. They didn't tamper with the message and they weren't greedy. People always assume that when people are preaching any kind of message about God, they're really after something else. People in this neighborhood wonder, this new church that's coming, are they really trying to serve and love the neighborhood like they say? Do they have some kind of ulterior motives? People often assume that. And sometimes it's just skepticism or the message doesn't seem compelling, so they think there must be some other reason. But also, it's partly because there's so many examples of corrupt leadership and people uh, abusing the gospel in order to manipulate other people. And so this is what people are accusing Paul and them of doing. And Paul is again saying, my goal isn't glory from other people. He's not trying to get glory, but he's also not trying to get money. This is the main thing people love to throw at people. You're just trying to get money. You're really just trying to get paid. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, we could have been a burden. We could have asked you for money. But we worked night and day so that we could support ourselves and not ask you for anything. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians talks about this. And he defends his right to be able to be paid for preaching the gospel goes a long way saying, I can be paid, this is good, and then says, but I choose not to. But I'm going to choose not to, just so there's no confusion, so I don't have to be a burden to you. So how could Paul be the self-serving, greedy Preacher they try to make him out to be if he wasn't making any money doing it. How could Paul just be about worldly glory if he wasn't getting glory for it? He was getting beat up and thrown in prison and would eventually be killed for loving Jesus and preaching Jesus. How could Paul be this greedy dude that they say he is? And so Paul wants the Thessalonians to know we're not these greedy preachers. There were greedy and dishonest preachers in that time. And there's still a greedy and dishonest preachers now. I'm not going to name any names, but if somebody asks you to buy them a jet, problem. All right. It's a problem off top. Uh, There are plenty of greedy preachers. I want to encourage you to beware of preachers who ask more than they give. I want to encourage you. If someone is always tying God's faithfulness to your financial contribution, that's greedy false preaching. If somebody suggests that you got to tip God in order for him to ever give you any favor, that is greedy false preaching. Right? Which is different. Then a church supporting their pastors, which Scripture encourages. We're not talking about that. We're talking about greedy, false preachers who are preying on God's people. Instead of preaching God's word, they want to preach what will help them make money. So Paul is saying, that's not us. So when Paul talks about what he's not, we're not like these greedy, false preachers. He uses a metaphor to tell them what they are like. Uh, and there are different metaphors in Scripture to talk about what ministry is like. This is one of my favorites. Paul uses these. Uh, These parenting metaphors, it gives this really clear picture of what gospel service should look like. Verse 7, he says, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. It says as a nurse nurtures her own children. And that word for nurse can either be, uh, it can either be translated just as nurse or nursing mother, which is what most translations Uh, translated as. And that seems to be the clear meaning because he's saying as a nurse nurtures her own children, not just any children, her own children. And I love that Paul uses this mothering metaphor because it's one that every single person understands. It's one that's concrete. It's not abstract. And it gives us a really clear picture of what this sacrificial love should look like because moms are an amazing picture of sacrificial love. This is why Everybody everybody's smiling and excited to get to honor all the moms. It really is hard to think of a better example of sacrificial love. And I think that's one of the reasons God uh, decided for us to reproduce the way that we do and, and to uh, create motherhood. Uh, men and women are both made in the image of God and there are unique ways we get to reflect that. There's something very unique about the way that moms and women get to reflect the image of God, this kind of creating and then nurturing what you create that looks so much like God. And the way that God has created everything and then very graciously watches over it and cares for it and nurtures it and keeps it going. There's a unique way that moms get to reflect the image of God. And so it's not surprising that Paul would then pick up motherhood as one of the ways we should think about the way that we serve. One of the best places to look, to know how to be a faithful minister, and to love sacrificially is moms. I mean, really, uh, this this is what really blew my mind when, when my wife was pregnant with our kids is that um, from conception, moms just have this unique care over another person. Uh, don't get to choose the timing. It just happens. Moms are the opposite of these greedy false preachers. No one could accuse a mom of just being in it for themselves. Moms give so much. Here's the thing. From the beginning, it's not like a child is like, hey, uh, can I have a little bit of your time? It's like, give me your body. Uh, <laughs> Everything you eat, I want some of that. Uh, I know you used to sleep comfortably. How about I just be right here in the middle of you? Uh, and everywhere you go, I want you to carry me. No hands, no hands. You're just right in your womb. And then after I'm born, I need you to feed me from yourself, right? There's all these just very unique ways that moms care. And that's exactly what Paul picks up here. He, he says a nursing mother nurtures her own child. And he uses that as the example that we should look to uh, for ways to sacrificially love and serve others with the gospel. He's saying, look, we were gentle. Gentleness is one of the things he picks up. And and moms have this unique gentleness, not a perfect gentleness. Some of y'all was like, I wasn't gentle this morning, but not a perfect gentleness. (laughs) But there's this gentleness that's required for the the way that this nurturing and raising up and training happens. And Paul is saying, that's what we're like. We're not like these greedy preachers. We're like moms nursing their children. We want to see you grow. We want to see you trained up. We want you to be loved. We're we're doing what we're doing for your good. With compassion and kindness and gentleness, not harshness and bitterness. Brothers, we can learn from the moms. If you want to see good examples, look... At the moms, and this isn't to say moms are the only picture uh, of, of servant ministry or that moms are the only way to reflect God. I know there are sisters who want to be moms or haven't been able to be moms or won't be able to be moms or who've lost children. This isn't to say in any way that you're any less the image of God than anybody else. But Paul points to this unique way that moms not only reflect God but are also examples for all of us to look to. And he also talks about their ministry compares it to fathers. Look at verse 10. He says, you're witnesses, and so, have, so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I think it is noteworthy that he's not saying, like a king, we came and ruled over you. He's not saying like a governor, we came and told you what to do. He's saying, again, like a father, we encouraged you and comforted you and implored you uh, to live worthy of God, to live in light of the way that God has called you. Look at verse 8. He says, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you would become dear to us. So Paul is saying, you know, as we were there, we didn't just show up and lecture you. We didn't just offer you a message. We offered you all of us. That word for lives really means souls. He's saying we shared all of us. Um. One pastor helpfully says it like this. When you share your soul, you let a person in to see what is really there. You do not conceal your true feelings about things. A shared soul is a shared passion or shared fear or shared guilt or shared longing or shared joy. When the gospel flourishes, people share their own souls, their joy and guilt and fear and longing and passion. Paul is saying, we didn't just share with you the good news. We shared with you our souls, everything, And uh, sharing with someone the gospel but hiding your life and your soul from them is very incomplete because we know that we don't learn just by hearing truth. We also need to see examples of how to respond to that truth. Early on trying to follow Jesus, there's stuff that I read in the Bible and that I did a terrible job of trying to obey Jesus in. Even stuff that I was sincerely trying to obey Jesus in but kept falling and kept messing up but kept not being able to live the way I was trying to. And then as the Lord sent brothers into my life who were more mature than me, and I watched and said, that's how you do that. Or they don't make the same dumb decision that I did. Or look at the ways that they're making ways in their life to sacrifice for these people. And there's stuff like that from other brothers and sisters in Jesus that I learn every single week. It's very incomplete to try to just share the message and not share your very life. Paul is saying we did that and you know we did that. Right. And, and that helps the message. That you can't separate the messenger from the message. I can't tell my son stop screaming at my daughter and scream at him as I tell him that. That's confusing. Paul is saying y'all saw how we lived. We lived in a way that pointed to the message that we preached. The world needs to hear a faithful message through from faithful messengers. Third thing we seen a faithful ministry is focus, focus. Um, often people don't like Christianity, and one of the things that they cite is imperfect pastors. And they're like, what about this dude? He did that. What about that dude? He did that. What about these people? I've seen that. Uh, and they'll say something like, the preacher's just a man. This is just another dude on stage running his mouth. Why am I going to turn my life around for something that just some other man says? He's not God. Uh, And that's correct. You should not build your life on just the words of another man. People know, rightly, that just another fallen person is not worth turning your life around for or building your life on. And so as ministers of the gospel, then we got to have focus. A focus on God's words, not our words. Focus on God's wisdom, not all wisdom. A focus on God's way, not ours. Listen to what he says in verse 13. He says, this is why we constantly thank God. Because when you receive the word of God that you heard from us, You welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. He's saying when we came to you with that message, you responded like you heard the words of God, not just ours. And one of the proofs of that, as he points to it, is that they endured all the same persecution that the apostles were enduring. Right? Saying we got ran out of the city, and those same people who hated us, they were among the same people who killed Jesus, are the same people who are now persecuting you. And one of the ways I know that you heard that, not just as our made-up, man-made message, is that you were willing to endure that for the sake of the gospel. You knew this was the word of God. And I want to say this. If you sit in here on Sunday morning and you think you're just hearing the words of us and we're just kind of coming up with stuff, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if your life doesn't change at all. I would not recommend anybody build their lives on my ideas. I would not recommend anybody build their lives on Richard's ideas or John's ideas or Moe's ideas or any man's ideas. The only authority we have as ministers of the gospel is as close as we are to what God has already said. Our main task is to bring God's word and to say, hey, this is what God said. Let's obey it together. The further we get away from God's word, the less and less authority we have and we should have. If we ever get on this stage and say some stuff that's not in this Bible, it is your job as a congregation to remove us. Do not allow us to lead this church away from God's word. The only authority, power, influence we should have should be telling people what God has already said. Trying to model that and trying to point people to that. And here's what will happen with this focus Uh, The reason I'm talking about this focus is because they had a focus on God's word, knowing it was God's word that would be a work in them. And here's what happens. At every turn, we're only two years old as a church, but there will be times when people and situations try to hijack our focus, right, and try to turn this into something else. Where we begin to make God in our own image. where we begin to just try to make God passionate about the things that we're passionate about. It happens to churches all the time. It happens to churches in our city. It happens to churches in our neighborhood. It's very easy for that to happen, to turn into uh, just self-help or just meeting physical needs or uh, gospel being hijacked for white supremacy or black ethnocentrism, change into a message of American comfort or some kind of throwback, monk asceticism, there's all kinds of ways we can just kind of hijack and shift the focus from the good news about Jesus. But what he's saying here is the only thing that has any kind of real lasting fruit is the word of God. And if you receive this as the word of God, then that's what changes lives. And it's only helpful if it's the word of God. As we start to talk about this gospel of God, the word of God, what is he exactly thinking about here as he talks about the good news? I'll tell you what that good news is. Uh, Really briefly, that good news is that God, the Creator, created all things. He's absolutely perfect. He makes us in His image, says we're good. We sin, we fall away from Him, and because of our sin, we're separated from God, and our world is broken. And this is the chaotic mess that we live in. And so, here, Jesus comes, right, and He lives the perfect life, and He dies on the cross, and He says, If we'll trust in Him, We can be forgiven of our sins and live with him forever. And what Paul gets to do that he's talking about here is he gets to carry that good news to different places to say, you see this broken world that's a mess that none of us can do anything about? Jesus has already done something about it. You know, all of that mess in your life that as much as you've tried, you've never really been able to fix and erase that conflict? Jesus has already done something about it. You know, all that injustice that grieves you each week? Jesus has already done something about it. And your eternal soul... If you don't want it to perish, Jesus has already done something about it. He's defeated sin for you. He's defeated death for you. He defeated the devil for you. All you have to do is trust in him. And Paul is saying that's the message that we bring, and that's the message that they responded to, and there was fruit in their lives. I want to ask you, in the ways that you've interacted with Christianity, is that the message that you've responded to? I want you to know that if you don't know Jesus, we would love nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus. Uh, We can be forgiven of our sins. You can trust in Jesus and be forgiven of your sins right now. Uh, And what we want our entire church to be focused on is that message and the fruit of that message. Uh, So our prayer is that just like he's talking about the Word of God working effectively in them, that that will be seen in the life of our church. Right, That people would see us loving our neighbors well, that people would see us being gracious, that people would see us being merciful, people would see us sacrificially loving people because the gospel that we trusted in is bearing fruit in our lives. The focus on the gospel, that's what I wanted to zoom in on there. And he says, y'all have become imitators of us, you've been persecuted like us. And he's saying that they're trying to keep them from sharing the gospel with others so that they can be saved. Anything that stands in the way of the gospel being proclaimed is satanic. Uh, so we need to pray that God would continue to allow us to have open doors to share that gospel. Last thing I want to point at, last kind of mark of faithful ministry, number four is joy. Number four is joy. So there's boldness, there's sacrificial love. There's focus, that focus on the word and the gospel. And number four, there's joy. Being a faithful minister requires joy. I want to read you this quote from, from a book that describes this really Christian lady in the book. And it's kind of how we think of Christians most of the time, uh, joyless, sad people, Listen not it? Liza was the name of this character. She had a finely developed sense of sin. Idleness was a sin, and card playing, which was a kind of idleness to her, was also a sin. She was suspicious of fun that involved dancing or singing or even laughing. She would be suspicious of people who had a good time and said they were wide open to the devil. She frightened her grandchildren because she had no weakness. She suffered greatly and would not complain at all through life, convinced that that was the way her God wanted her to live. She thought all the rewards and the joy came later. This is often how we think of Christians, like very sad people walking around, swatting down joy at every corner, like all the joy and the happiness, all of it comes later. There's no need for joy at all. But here's the thing, though there's difficulty, even as Paul talks about his very service of the gospel, right, even as he's been imprisoned and beaten, he talks about this joy that he has in the people that he's serving and in the fruit that God brings about. Verse 17, as for... As for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you, he said, I want to be there with y'all. Uh, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord that is coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. One of the marks of faithful ministers of the gospel is a joy in the work. He's saying we had to leave. We were forced to leave. And then he makes clear in parentheses, not in our hearts. we were still with you in our hearts. Right? But they made us physically leave. But we were longing to be with you. That word for longing there is so strong. Most of the time the way it was used was like parents who longed for their children at their funerals. Like we long to be with you. And he's saying because you were our glory and our joy. You were our crown. When the Lord Jesus comes back, we not only get the rewards that Jesus has purchased for us, but there's also the reward of what God has done in y'all's lives. So here's my encouragement that as we uh, grow together as a church and we share the gospel with others and share gospel with each other, that we would find great joy in that work, right? That we'd be able to find the kind of joy that would allow us to endure the hard stuff. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, It's messy when you live along with other sinners, when you try to love other sinners, when you and other sinners try to help each other grow. That's messy and that's difficult. Uh, One of the things that sustains Paul is this joy, this focusing on the last day when Jesus comes back and the fruit of what's going to happen. This entire book is in light of that last day. We would be a lot more joyful if we could see beyond the difficulties right in front of our face, if we could see beyond the difficulties of this day and we could fix our eyes on the last day. Jesus is coming back. There's some stuff that seems like a big deal right now that will not matter when I'm in front of Jesus. There's a lot of things that I'm giving my time to now that will not matter when I stand in front of Jesus. Paul is saying, I'm going to be joyful when I stand before Jesus because I'm spending my time right now in something that I dearly love and there's eternal fruit from. So so I want to encourage you as you think about your life, you think about what God has called you to to ask yourself whether or not you've seen these marks of a faithful ministry in your life. Last thing I'll say, um, even the thing about parenting, wanting to be good, and new rules, there's no handbook, I found out, uh, that gives you the exact perfect steps in every situation. Right? You can't just listen to a cry and like, read the cry and be like, how loud, how many decibels is it supposed to be to know if they're hungry? Right? There's no way to do that. The best thing that you can do is look at the principles to be able to do that faithfully and then trust God to do the rest, right? And it's the same thing when it comes to gospel ministry. There is no exact perfect handbook to make sure every ounce of ministry shows the kind of fruit that you want to see or that it's as joyful as you want to be. But what we see in Scripture is these clear principles for how to do it in a faithful way. And what we get to do is pray that God will do the work, and we get to praise him when he does, uh, uh. And yet really get to share testimonies of the ways that God has been faithful uh, to those who sought to be faithful to him. Uh, My prayer is that this week, you would really try to spend your life as the kind of servant of the gospel that Paul is calling us to be. Let me pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, and we thank you for your word again Father, we thank you for allowing us to join you in your work. There is no greater work than sinners being saved from their sins, than sinners being given new life, Father. So we thank you for letting us join you in it. Uh, God, we thank you that you allow us to help each other to grow. Uh, God, yeah, it's better to be a servant of you than a king of many, Father. So we pray you'd help us to embrace that, uh, God, and that you'd be honored in us. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.